1: This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. recording on Thursday, June 30th, 2022. I'm Jeff O'Neill, here with Rebecca Shinsky, coming to you from bookriot.com. It's the last day of the first half of the year. Does this mean anything to you? No. Yeah. June 20th means something to me, but not this.
0: Yeah, like the summer solstice, the start of summer, that Mm -hmm. all means something to me. Um, Just in that feels like, okay, the longest day of the year, the most sunlight. It's like really summer weather kind of no matter where you are in the country but just the end of June being halfway through the year doesn't it doesn't mean anything to be usually other than like oh crap we're already halfway through. <laughs>
1: halfway through yeah it's not it's not it's not like turning 40 it'd be like looking at your actuarial table and say oh, I'm expected to live to 88.7 years I mean right. like at 44.35 <laughs> you know let's mark this yes. somehow
0: yeah, uh-huh. I have had that existential moment this year about turning 40 and like the literal meaning of midlife. Yes. <laughs> but, but I'm not having it about the, the midpoint of the year so far.
1: Yeah, though, um, I should say this, um, we are going to use as the occasion to demarcate one half of the other. And so for our bonus Patreon episode this week, which we're going to record right after this episode, but um, we're going to talk about our favorite reads, the books we've, our favorite books we've read so far this year. Um, my front list foyer adventure has yielded interesting mm-hmm. dividends in this regard. And I was I've read seventy-five books so far this year Ooh. and I got my list down to twelve. I okay. usually only like to recommend about one out of every ten books I read. I feel like that's I'm really recommending good stuff. I don't want to be a promiscuous book recommender. I don't know why I care about this, but this is something I care about. And so usually so that would give me seven, you know, basically okay. bites at the apple. But you can hear me be worried about adding extra five and and do my dance of um, con- keeping to constraints that nobody but me cares about for reasons <laughs> that are even beyond my ken at this point. There. Um, so that's coming next. But I wanted, well, let's take, I want to talk about, is there a book of the year? It, what are the candidates for book of the year and what actually we mean by that? But uh, we'll come back after our first sponsor to talk about that. Speaking of things I I don't know that anybody else besides me cares about, maybe people do, but like the book of the year, we've talked about this, we've talked about this phrase in the past that is some... Chimera of popular, well-regarded, good, important. Like it, it has to be mm-hmm. a little of all those categories to be a book of the year or one of the books of the year. I guess when we were really doing our power ranking of books of 2000, this really came to the fore there, where you you can't you have to have a little bit of all the ingredients to, to make it in there. Um, and I think it's a fun idea. Uh, maybe one way of thinking about it is like if you were f- to forecast into 10 years from now, 20 oh, years, in this case, 22 mm-hmm. years from now, are there any sort of sleeper picks you would pick, you know, uh, or you buy low, sell high is kind of a fun game to play with these things as well. I've done a little bit of thinking about this because I have, and I threw this at <laughs> you literally 45 <laughs> seconds before we started recording. And for this reason alone, does anything jump out at you? If you think no. of book of the year, does anything at all even like... Enter the field, enter the arena to be knocked down. Um, at it, this point, in it the year.
0: doesn't. It doesn't. And I'll say, like, as I was prepping for the Patreon episode about my favorites of the year so far, I was just also thinking, like, well, what are the books of the mm. year? Even if they're not my favorites, and they don't, it doesn't necessarily have to be a new release to be a book of the year. Like. Crawdads was the big book in the year after the year in which it was published. Yeah. Um. So kind of loosening those constraints, but the I think the story this year so far is that the big books are the books that have gotten big on TikTok, and most of those are backlist. Yeah. So you know, Colleen Hoover's doing great. Taylor Jenkins Reid is doing great. Um. But I don't consider those really books of the year. It also has, no. doesn't seem to have like broken out beyond what's happening on TikTok necessarily. That's just such a big thing in and of itself? So my answer is no. And I think that might be different. I hope that's different by the end of the year. Often the book of the year comes out in the fall in Oscar Mm -hmm. book season. Um, If we're going to get one, there are some biggies coming out this fall. So I think it's possible that we will have a different answer by our final show of December. But so far, no.
1: I I think you're right. It has to be the Colleen Hoover Corpus, right? Basically, Mm -hmm. all of her books are selling in the top all there's a bunch but like three three to four of them are routinely appearing appearing in the best-selling books of the week and publishers weekly every week and some of them you're actually intensifying and it ends with us sold fifty eight thousand copies last week that's more than it did three <sighs> weeks ago um sidebar for just a second do you know what it <laughs> with ends it ends with us is about
0: i have absolutely no idea yeah I i've kept myself we gonna... I,
1: yes at some point we're gonna, i have no idea either so maybe when <laughs> we we should record a what we guess it's about <laughs> at this point um, that would be a fun game to embarrass ourselves with, but I've I've kept a little I've kept the 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 mental cellophane on. It ends with us for a while. <laughs> mental uh,
0: cellophane is a good
1: show title. Uh, I, I, a couple of candidates here. I think it has to have at least appeared somewhere towards the top of the bestseller list at this point for me to consider it. I think the one, if I had to pick, that has some hipster cred. It is a good book. And it's sold relatively well, though it's fallen out of the top twenty for hardcover fiction. I think it might be Sea of Tranquility. It's a, it's a mm. kind of a weak contender, not not because I don't think it's good, but it just hasn't. You know, it just hasn't, it yeah, doesn't have, I, people People are out there reading it. Uh, right, civilians yeah. aren't really I, recommended to each other, which is. As indeed,
0: you know, I important. really, I really liked Sea of Tranquility, yep. but I just, I don't think we could rubber stamp it as the book of the year so far. No, I think no. coming into this year, I would have guessed it would either maybe be that or The Candy House by Jennifer Egan. Um, mm-hmm. Really, those are the two big name releases we've had so far this year that I thought had potential to do, to have like that level of sparkle, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, nothing nothing sticky so far for Book of Year.
1: I, I think and I looked at a little bit of like some people have done. I think Book Ride is doing our own best of the year so far, next week or the week after. We'll mm-hmm. we'll spend some time on that one specifically. And we've done the arm the Amazon and Barnes and Noble list. I look at some of the like higher profile editorial things like Vulture and Esquire sure. and the BBC and Pals and NPR. Um, you know, there's a couple of names Olga Dies Dreaming pops up a lot. I've been seeing that a lot. Mm-hmm. That didn't that book mm-hmm. didn't super work for me, but That's kind of beyond the scope of what the book of the year. It doesn't matter if I liked it or not. Things can be book of the year, whether or not I like it or not, or um, completely fall off the radar or never have been on the radar, even if I really love something, uh, which is all too common. Um, The other one, you know, to Paradise, I think is having a little bit of resurgence maybe in showing up Mm -hmm. on these lists. There was a little bit of um, Hanya Yanagihara backlash, hater, troll. I'm not sure. There's a lot of
0: discourse.
1: Yes. a A lot of detractors, I think is fair. Uh, to say, though I don't think the detraction is necessarily fair, as I've said on this show before, I've said to you before, and it continues to be true, that book continues to grow in my mind as I read more things mm-hmm. that seem like trying to do something similar or, you know, multiple timelines, spec fic back and forth. Like, oh yeah, To Bear Advice was just more interesting than these books that I'm reading now. So
0: interesting. for me,
1: I wonder if there's going to be a late kind of charge at some yeah, point. Yeah. Um, maybe
0: it'll have a moment during award season.
1: Yeah. But, you know, the version of that, I mean, talk about, it. you know, when you see it, the version of this we would know when we see a book of the year would be a little life when that came out, right? To speak mm-hmm. of, Yoniga. or mm-hmm. it was up there. Like if a little life phenomenon was out now, we would be saying that's the book of the year right now. Just all yes. the sales and talk and discourse and tears. Um, and it also occurred to me that maybe in the spaces where you and I don't dwell a lot, whether it is BookTok or Bookstagram or Tumblr or other like more extremely online sources of, of book excitement if there are some new releases that are more picked up than others, I think it would show Hmm. up in the sales though, right? Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the sales. So I just think the backlist power, um, especially with BookTok right now is so formidable um, that it's really drowning out new releases because new releases haven't had the time for people to read them yet and to to be picked up uh, and debut authors especially where then you can't then go buy all the Colleen Hoovers and then Colleen Hoover gets book deals for herself, published stuff. Um, that that, that comes up a little bit. So yeah, I don't think, I really don't know that there's a book of the year. I mean, looking down, yeah, you're right. The Fall is a murderer's row again, as it normally is. Um, We're even getting some stuff in the late half of the summer. We should talk about it sometime, coming out Mm -hmm. soon. But I think the the belt is there to be won for somebody. I don't think you have to knock a champ out to get the belt for book of the year um, so far. Okay, Um, story of the year, though, I think absolutely continues to be the intensified gall of those on the right to challenge, ban, censor, harass, and intimidate um, books, especially by and about um, LBGQ Plus authors. Uh, The close to home to you in Virginia, we followed this case about Barnes and Noble being sued for genderqueer and the Sarah J. Mouse book. I think it's just the first one. I don't think the other books have been named any of these at this point. Um but mm-hmm. counter counterclaims, lawyers saying the obscenity claims of Virginia are now defective and should be tossed out. I don't know the legal term of art, but that sounds right to me. It feels like defective and should yeah. be tossed out. I agree. Yes, I just gabbled that to be true. Let's go.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Court of Rightness now in yes, session. Yes, court of
1: rightness in session. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, more on the more technical end, they explain in this PW piece that um, functionally, the it says the petition and the show for cause are facially defective because the Virginia law doesn't authorize a court to declare that a book is obscene for unrestricted viewing by minors. So the Virginia law can't constitutionally be the basis of the complaint <sighs> that the petitioner is making because the state doesn't allow them to like you can't complain about the thing they're complaining about, basically.
1: Mm, that's defective, I guess. <laughs> Which, huh?
0: That is it is defective. I think this is one of those cases that brings out my most cynical readings of things, and I I think for good reason that I think they knew this going in mm-hmm. that this is a defective claim. It's not about actually trying to win the case. It's about the publicity that having done it, it garners for yes. this candidate. To drum up you know, frustration and whatever else they're trying to drum up support on the far right for look at the look at how I'm fighting this culture war for you and is a continuing illustration of the ways in which the folks on on that far right end of things are much more interested in publicity than they are in actual governance. Um I, I would I'm willing to believe I fully do believe that they knew going in that This wasn't going to go anywhere. And they're probably fine with that. They're not actually trying to ban the book. They're trying to get the attention to win the election, to gain the power that then they can make attempt to make other kinds of changes where, you know, control a school board. You don't have to try to change the definition of obscenity. Um, That was the most, I think, important sentence of this to me. It was like, oh, right. Yeah. These jokers knew going in that this wasn't going to work. They don't care. Um, This is not the game they're playing. They're playing a a publicity game.
1: Um, Speaking of counter moves, in counter moves that we like, a librarian in Canada, her name is Bessie Sullivan... Uh, the CEO of the Urella Public Library in Ontario. CEOs in Canada, uh, libraries in Canada have CEOs. That's interesting. A, a great um, question. Chief excitement offer. Canadian excellent. <laughs>
0: enthusiast.
1: Uh, Canadian enthusiast officer. Um, basically, they were having a drag queen story hour and there were some protests. And she said, you know what? Rather than cowing to this or worrying about it, we're going to add more to the docket. We're doubling down. We're doing another show, another reading. And there we go not much else to say about this. Um, Now, again, you can do these because these are online attacks, it looks like, and people don't actually show up in person. Mm -hmm. It's a different deal that we see in some of this stuff, especially in Texas, I think it was the year year before last, Mm -hmm. where people were showing up, someone had a gun at some point, you know, making threats. Mm -hmm. So it's easy. I don't want to say that people who are really experiencing physical threats should or could or even i want them to do this but in these cases where you're calling someone's bluff if you see it as a bluff call it do some more um and show them that you're streisend affecting yourself um into oblivion here a little bit so that's bessie sullivan in ontario may your efforts
0: succeed may your efforts succeed
1: okay um you know let's see two tech things i want to go to um, I had an initial reaction to this headline about authors protesting Amazon policy that allows Kindle users to return books within seven days. And then I read the piece and I got turned around on it. Rebecca,
0: me too. Me. That's exactly okay. what happened to me.
1: So, were we both on the same mental page that we didn't know that we were on? Is like, uh, get over it, authors, initially. This is a thing that people can do. Is, is that where you were? It's like, it's yes. too bad. Okay.
0: Yeah, I think we've seen enough of like enough petitions from the Authors Guild about things that it's like, oh, come on. (laughs) There
1: is. (laughs) You're right. Maybe that's not fair, (laughs) but I have to get through an oh, come on barrier before I can take any of this uh, seriously. But I did get turned
0: around by by the piece. And this is a piece from um, NPR by Deanna Schwartz. Um, So I guess I didn't realize that this was a thing you could do on Kindle. I've, Mm -hmm. I've not done this, but for listeners who are catching up with us, um, what's going on is that Kindle allows users to return an ebook for a refund within seven days of purchasing it. And the thing is, like, you can say that you accidentally bought, like, it was an accidental purchase. I didn't mean to buy this book. The problem is that seven days is plenty long for many people to read a book And then return it. And this functionality, I guess, um, loophole, however you want to see it, is something that people have been, I guess, calling out and offering as a tip or a trick to online reading communities. It's Mm. often packaged. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Schwartz says it's often packaged as a way to like stick it to Amazon. Uh, But what's actually happening is like you're not really sticking it to Amazon, you're sticking it to the author because when the ebook gets returned, the royalties that were paid to them when you made the purchase are also deducted. So authors have discovered that this is going on by getting their monthly royalty statements from Amazon and seeing like, oh, I didn't make any money this month. I actually lost money because people have been buying my book and then returning it and that it's happening at a much higher volume than usual um, at a much higher rate this is people not acting in good faith no nope. um, yeah and I, I had a very by the end of the piece i had a very like this is why we can't have nice things <laughs> kind of mm-hmm. response like she also schwartz also notes that this is unusual that the other um other major ebook retailers barnes and noble kobo don't offer a similar policy. Amazon's is a standout from the other big brands, Um, like Kobo and Apple iBooks both require that you you have to contact customer service to see if an item is eligible for refunds. Um, Barnes and Noble and Smashwords don't allow any eBooks to be returned. And eBooks are also the only digital product that Amazon allows customers to return. So I don't know what the intention behind the policy is. Probably Mm -hmm. if we assume that Amazon was trying to act in good faith, for its customers, the intention is probably people do accidentally click things and we want to give them away to return them. Um, but it's being treated as a loophole people are certainly taking advantage of it and now um folks from the uh, authors are joining together to sort of protest this they want amazon to change the policy looks to me like their suggestions are reasonable like maybe if a person has read less than 20 percent of the book they can return it but if you have completed the book which amazon can certainly detect you cannot Mm -hmm. return it that's i think more than reasonable you can't walk into your Barnes and Noble with a paperback that has been clearly like carried around in a backpack for a week and and get a refund. <laughs> Believe me, I know because people used to try it.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah, I think there's that's part of it is the um, durability of digital goods makes it so that you can't wear out the book um, mm-hmm. and it's easy to return. There is friction. And even, even if you did read the book without cracking the spine, you still got to drive your butt back over there and go up the things. So there's a little friction to do it as well. I think there's the particulars in the general are both interesting here, that Amazon mm-hmm. does seem to be an outlier in both within its own ecosystem, right? Yeah. That you can't, you can't buy, say, uh, I don't know, what, what movies are just coming out? Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness as a digital movie, and then watch it and return it, apparently. I've never tried this myself. Now, one difference, though, is that eventually, if you wait long enough, you can rent that sucker which does Mm -hmm. not exist in books, but what does exist in books for the waiters who want to get it for cheaper is the library, which is notice here. Right. And so kind of, it feels like the ethical waterfall here uh, in most of our minds is it's okay to get the book from your library to, for free and you just wait long enough. Right. Someone's paid for that. You know, we've talked uh, not ad nauseum, but at, at um, near nauseum um, (laughs) about, you know, the library licensing Argument, which has died out, by the way. Have you ever seen? I haven't has. seen that in a while. So that's Mm-mm. something I hadn't really thought about because it hasn't been in the, the zeitgeist at all, at least in our little part of the world. And then from there, it's like, okay, you also have the opportunity if you wait and if you're vigilant to get an ebook deal, right? I just recommended to someone Lost and Found by Catherine Schultz because on the Book mm-hmm. Riot Daily Deals newsletter, it was a dollar ninety nine, and I was like, go buy that, which is essentially a rental kind of a price for a book, except you get to keep it which is interesting as well. But these are people who don't want to spend money and they found a loophole and they're abusing it. Um it sounds like and it sounds like it's picked up relatively recently and mm-hmm. though there's no direct blame given here I think our our baseline our Bayesian prior here should be a weird new vertical spike in behavior is a book talk phenomenon, right? If it's true yes. of sales, it might be true of this as well. It does say one of uh, Chad Ryan, who's a fantasy writer, says, my hope is that readers will understand that influencers on TikTok and discussions on Facebook face, Facebook may have mm-hmm. all the angles figured out, um, but it's not only Amazon they're hurting here. I don't know. Maybe there are Facebook groups about thrifting or getting free books and cheap books. That's, that's possible. I know there's people that um, those are usable groups that people do. So th- this is a tragedy of the common situation. Not enough people knew about it, and it wasn't being promoted to a certain audience with a certain intent, and we got along fine. And it does feel like something Amazon should do something about. It doesn't seem mm-hmm. to me reasonable that you can read a book and return it for free. I don't know where I am on the I started it and hated it thing. Where are you on that? Mm. What mechanism would you... would you Do you, you have know, any idea? Is that anything we can do anything about?
0: I really, in my heart of hearts, feel like too bad, so sad. And okay. maybe that's a holdover from having worked at a bookstore or that I still read a lot of my books in print and purchase them. And I yep. do believe like once you have cracked a book open and like you have t- carried it out of my local Barnes you and Noble. You worn the after,
1: shoes outside. That's the one I always right. think about. You wore the right. shoe outside.
0: I've, I've, I've carried it out of my Barnes and Noble after I do my 3.30 PM check-in yeah. to see what the teens are talking about. and yeah. I've started it. If I don't like it, that is my book. And I can do with it what I want. I can give it away. I can give it to someone else. I can put it on my shelf, whatever. But I, that's mine. It's mine now. And I understand digital goods are different because there is not wear and tear. But I think our relationship to them, it's helpful for consumers and for retailers if our relationship to those items is relatively consistent. Like, yeah. I don't think you can buy an album on iTunes and return it if you don't like the songs. And I, I remember- really yeah. I remember back in the day when CD stores were a thing, like you could not go to Sam Goody and buy the new counting crows CD and then take it back the next day after it was opened and be like, I just didn't like it. That's, that's not a thing. That's, this is the risk you take. It's like, it's the risk you take when you order a dish you've never had before at a restaurant. Like maybe it really is awful and you're going to send it back, but most people are going to do the calculus of like, I wanted to try this thing. It just wasn't for me. Okay. It's like, sometimes that's the way the cookie crumbles. And I think it's generous of Amazon and Audible and whatever other retailers have any of these loophole options to try to account for the fact that sometimes we do make unintentional purchases, but to when they begin being taken advantage of, it really is you know bad apples spoiling it for everybody. And I, I do think these authors' point is well made, and I hope it's well taken that you're not sticking it to Amazon; you are sticking it to the creators here. And I think. Especially in the Amazon ecosystem where if you publish through Amazon, if you you can get a higher royalty rate if you only publish your ebooks yeah. through Amazon, if you don't make them available through other retailers. So there's incentive to only publish through Amazon and get a much higher royalty percentage. But then if readers can just buy your book and read it and send it back to you, you can lose money. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's a prop that's a, a problem with their value proposition that I think Amazon will want to address for authors that are publishing exclusively through them. But yeah, I'm very much, you know, too bad, so sad. You spent your five ninety dollars is how being a consumer works. Sometimes you don't like the thing. I don't know. And if you don't want to, to take the risk, like that's what the library is for.
1: Yeah, that's what the library is for. And digital lending is easier than ever. I think the idea that I, I, I didn't know what it was going to be like, and I tried it and I want to send it back does carry some water. But I think with digital books, that's where it carries the least water because I know, you can try samples all the live long day. Mm-hmm. You can read, re, I think I do this a lot more now. I try samples of something to see if I want to buy it on a, a digital book, especially. Um, especially if it's some, in, in the front list foyer era, there's a lot of new books and I don't know much about them. There's not a lot of, you know, I'm trying debut authors. I'm trying authors I've never done before. And I'll read the whole sample on Kindle or eBooks and I'll decide at the end. Do i want mm-hmm. to proceed and buy it or not and sometimes i do and sometimes i don't but i think that's in the spirit of this what they're trying to let you try it right because I sight unseen not only is it a huge money commitment for me it's an even bigger time, comm- <laughs> time <laughs> you know the six hours i'm going to spend reading a book is worth yeah, it cost me yeah. way more than the 12.99 right. um to get in so i'm really solving for my own time so that that's my thought here is you don't really have an excuse i think The Amazon buy now with one click, they've created their own problem here with this Mm -hmm. idea of an accidental Mm -hmm. buy. Is that you can, you know, scroll in on your Kindle or scrolling something. That is literally one click and it's done. And I don't know that I've made the mistake of doing it, but I was like, boy, that was awfully easy. They're making, so Amazon is really benefiting from making it super easy, and maybe this is the deal they made with themselves, they realize that in order to make it the friction as low as possible, they need to have a more generous return upon the other side. I've got a solution to this. Would you like to hear it? I thought about this. I would. I've got a solution to this.
0: I have an idea also, so yeah, go ahead. Okay.
1: You get two returns a year
0: Mm. per account. Okay.
1: You can do two. Okay. Within seven days, no questions asked. You don't abuse it. We can keep track. Yeah. We have all your data. You have your account. It's getting... We can keep track of how many times you've done this. Why, yep. why not give people a couple of... Or maybe for every 15 you buy, you get one. You know, maybe like like PTO, <laughs> you can accrue right. uh, a get-out-of-jail-free <laughs> card. But we have the technology. Literally, we have the technology. We
0: literally have it, yeah. To see how many
1: I, what, where the abusers are.
0: Now that we're talking about this, I'm remembering that a couple of years ago, there was a similar problem with Audible because Audible allows you to return... Yeah. books that you've bought with your credits really at any time mm-hmm. um, and I think that they had then put in some technology to detect people who were doing it routinely who were just getting books and then returning them and um, so that they could get those credits back even if they had listened to the titles my idea was to put a time limit on it that like Ah. google you know gmail has the thing where you can unsend an email within like two minutes or something there you go um i think it should be something like that that there is a window of there i think it's very possible as you're saying that people do make accidental purchases because that one click thing like all you got to do is put your finger in the wrong place one time and you can account for that. Like you, then you get a confirmation screen of like, congratulations, you have completed your, you bought this purchase. book. <laughs> right. You bought this book. And so there's, uh-huh. I think there should be a button there that it's like, oops, <laughs> Yeah. And your your oops button is available to you for the next five minutes. Um, but if after that time elapses, you do not, you're on your own recognizance, man, when you're shopping online or really for anything. And if, if you have accidentally purchased something and you don't realize it when you get a confirmation screen and a confirmation email, that feels like that's your problem.
1: Yeah. One of the other solutions offered here, and it's, I don't know if it's better or worse than the, you get three... Uh, you get three red flags a year to say, I didn't like this, or I did something wrong, or I changed my mind, is um, since it can monitor, since the Kindle app especially can monitor how much mm-hmm. of a book you've read, and in fact, Kindle Unlimited authors get paid based on how many pages. So this is, you know, tracking what people have read as payment is part of this. Say Once you've got across the 20% mark, y- you've read that book, and you yeah, have passed the point fair. of literal no return. Um, at that <laughs> moment. And that would make sense to me, too. You maybe have to do some education. But I think though, both of those were in the spirit of there is some affordance for, boy, this is not a book that's for me. And most of us would agree in the court of rightness that it's okay to return. Um, but this is too permissive. And like many things, if there is an angle to be abused, it, if exploited and publicized, yeah. it will be abused. And that seems to be where we are.
0: Well, yeah, I, I think that's very generous you know thinking about other forms of media if you do order doctor strange in the multiverse of whatever yeah from your like from your on demand cable on demand or whatever you can't return it if you didn't like it you cannot get your money back like that's
1: yeah or at least it's game. onerous it's not easy to do right in the app and that's one of the things right. they say yeah. here is that it's it's they make it so easy to do and i'm opposed to the you've got to call the New York Times during their two (laughs) business hours to cancel your subscription thing, right? But (laughs) that's canceling things into the future. I haven't even consumed the Sunday Times in three weeks. I'm trying to get rid of this. That's not what I'm talking about here. It's like, I think there's some fairness to the consumer and some fairness to the creator here. And this is a weird corner case that hasn't been exploited and now it is and probably they need to do something about it. Because here's another thing, as much as I rail against ebook pricing, um, what I do know is that it's cheaper for a publisher to make a digital book than a hardcover. It mm-hmm. is not easier for an author to write right. that. I do know yeah. that yeah. I do know. So, all right. Uh, let's do another sponsor break and, uh, do a little bit more. Speaking of book talk, um, mm. Barnes and Noble and book talk have partnered up for a hashtag book talk challenge. And I don't, I'm not even sure if this is interesting anymore. I, Barnes and Noble is paying for this. W- what's the money flow? We always try to think about this of who's getting what from whom. I don't think book, um, the book talk hashtag, nor TikTok writ large, needs the free pub of Barnes and Noble publicizing <laughs> this. But it did get me thinking about this, which is, if you look at the big winners of book talk, it's the you know it's the ten authors, or maybe it's maybe it's maybe down to twenty or thirty that really had kind of a life changing experience. Um, and it's uh, there's a uh, a power law thing going on there, but if you're the number twenty five beneficiary of the book talk surge, I'm sure you're 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 thrilled. But I have a look, I think Barnes and Noble is the big winner. The big corporate mm-hmm. winner here is Barnes and Noble, and this brings it home to me. um You and I have been in Barnes and Noble of late. We've shared texted images of book talk tables, <laughs> and the one that really brought it home to me, I was in the Strand. I was in New York for vacation with my family, and I walked around the Strand. Had a wonderful time there. Um, really, really got some uh, early 2000s vibes flowing through my body <laughs> at that point. And even book to- even the Strand had a book talk table. And for those of you who don't know, is there a snootier bookstore in America than the Strand? <laughs> is there a bigger hipster place in America? No. I don't think, th- not be- that I've been to.
0: Yeah. I mean, literally the biggest.
1: <laughs> yeah, literally. Because Powell's... Is not as snooty, and it's the only one that's even close in size and, and sort yeah. of prestige There's for one of these probably big bo- independent bookstores. Like
0: really small, very snooty ones. But three in lives v- in the
1: village. You're right. It's probably that's a that's yeah. like a gold lettered. You know, it looks like an old English pub on the side, right? But it. in
0: the Venn diagram of like snooty and influential,
1: yeah, it's
0: definitely and, the
1: Strand. And I I texted you the picture of their table, but then also <laughs> their little I don't know bookmarks. <laughs> They were being very snarky about, I think, even having to have the table yeah. was a thing. Was a thing there. It's like, it's a okay, don't ask us. Just go. F- That's right.
0: Yeah. Great way to appeal to the fans of the thing is be snarky about the fact that you're advertising to them. Uh, maybe they don't
1: care. They're there to buy it ends with us or Cersei or the seven and a half lives of uh, Evelyn Hugo. That's a portmanteau. I know that was a mistake on purpose. Don't be mommy. Um, And Barnes & Noble is the big winner here, and it seems Mm -hmm. like they're doubling down on that. And the Barnes & Noble I went to recently didn't just have one book talk table. It had spicy talk, which I guess is the erotica, um, Mm. you know, kind of vibes there. Sarah J. Moss had her own table. James Clear had his own table. Colleen Hoover certainly had her own table. There's the YA fantasy book talk table. Just remarkable stuff. And the free the free advertising Barnes Noble gets because the other thing about book talk that I've noticed and other I'm not the first person to notice this is it's paper books it's trade yeah. paper is the coin of the realm there and that's where you go buy it so when Rebecca when you're there at 3:30 with all the other <laughs> high school kids to get your you your know. mint caramel frap um, oh and to check out <laughs> and to ch- and to check out what's new um, you know, Tell us if you see people there for the, the hashtag book talk challenge. I have to admit, did you read the rest of this article? What, like, what is this? Like, what do you do? Yeah, what do you get? You like, know, what do you even do? You, I, I stopped like, at thinking about Barnes & Noble.
0: I don't know what, like, if there's substance to the challenge other mm-hmm. than you're between June 29th and August 31st, you're encouraged to share books, to share your reaction to books on TikTok using the hashtag Book talk challenge and the Barnes and Noble displays in store are going to have QR codes that will take you to the new book talk hub on TikTok, which I think is maybe sneakily the most interesting thing about mm. this. That book talk is happening enough that it's made it worthwhile for TikTok to create a hub for it.
1: And it didn't now, have one already? I'm really surprised. Apparently not. Yeah. It, huh. it
0: says the new book talk hub. Um, there's a new dedicated book talk hub on TikTok. So I don't know how new, but it must be pretty new. Mm. Um, That's interesting to me that it's big enough. I'm not, I don't have a TikTok. I'm not familiar enough with it to know how many other hubs there are, like how special does a topic have to be to get a TikTok hub? Um, But that Mm -hmm. seems notable to me. And yeah, Barnes & Noble is definitely the winner here. TikTok doesn't need Barnes & Noble's help Um, getting users or advertising anything but i think barnes and noble is wise to have recognized people are coming into our stores looking for books they saw on tiktok and we are smart to spend some money encouraging that
1: um, yeah whatever they, that looks like Yeah,
0: right especially teens who are i think more likely to go into physical stores than they are to have access to like a mm-hmm. credit card to buy stuff online um barnes and noble is a big big winner there and it makes sense to me that they are you know, trying to build on that for as long as they can. So I'll be interested. You know, I I will go to my Barnes & Noble and, you know, scan some QR codes and see what happens.
1: I don't have this in the agenda, um, but that made me remember. I saw a headline yesterday, and I don't have the details here, but it did strike me as, oh, this could be a thing, and I don't know. But the commissioner of the SEC is mm-hmm. pressuring, encouraging, suggesting whatever commissioners, that. Mm-hmm. that Apple and Android ban TikTok from their app platforms. Because of surveillance, uh, ByteDance, which is TikTok's parent company, is a Chinese company, and not great about privacy and human rights and national Mm -hmm. security and everything else that you might be worried. Anything you're worried about with Facebook, (laughs) let's put it this way, (laughs) yeah, plus the international stuff.
0: If you have a piece of tape over your laptop's uh, video camera, you should definitely be worried about
1: (laughs) TikTok. (laughs) Right. If you're running an ad blocker, (laughs) Please throw away your phone right now if you have TikTok (laughs) on it right now. And I don't know if this – we haven't seen – There's talk about saber-rattling. And maybe if there's saber-rattling, maybe this is the term to apply. It's a little more than saber-rattling, I think, when it comes to banning LBTQ books in Virginia like we're seeing. But I think a lot of politicians saber-rattle around tech privacy stuff. And Mm -hmm. and not much gets done. And I don't really – I don't follow it closely enough to know – Do they not want to do it? They don't want to spend the political capital, even if they could do it, or they can't do it at all because of the law or some other, you know, they don't have the votes, to quote Hamilton. Um, But it does get talked about a lot. And people try to score points by talking tough around tech tech giants and monopolies and, and privacy but boy, it's not never. The only one I can think of is a GDPR, which I don't even remember what it stands for. But there was a big privacy thing in Europe a couple of years ago that actually mm-hmm. affected our business. Like we had to do some affordance for it as well. Um, it doesn't really happen. So, you know, does this mean it's going to happen? No, it's not sufficient. But I think you would need this is a necessary condition, right? You would yeah. need to have this kind of thing happen first, this kind of discourse to happen first. And I'd keep a very, very close eye um, on that because I think that's. You know TikTok's dominance is such now, and the geopolitics are such now
0: mm-hmm. that
1: the big fish are going to start being interested in this big fish uh, and what it means.
0: Yeah, I think there's some scrutiny that needs to be applied, and that I hope the big, you know, tech giants, the Apples and yeah. Android, Google, um, will pay some attention to what they find when they conduct whatever scrutiny they're going to conduct you know i'm i came off earlier this year watching the showtime series about uber super pumped Mm. and there's a there is a moment in that where you know you get to see them deciding to access the cameras and uh, video (laughs) video cameras of drivers phones to spy on what's happening in cars and then apple finding out that uber is doing some shady things with privacy and ban like taking them out of the store for a couple of days until at that point travis kalanick like goes to apple and does a song and dance and lies to people's faces and that's why he's not the ceo anymore among many other reasons not a good dude that one but uh there's precedent for Apple, at least, to have done this on the basis of violation of user privacy in the past, it didn't stick in the long term. But they have done it. Um, so the saber rattling, like there's a saber; it's not just a rattle. No, that's <laughs> um, right.
1: It's not just a bunch of uh, it's not just a bunch of dry beans in an empty case right here. Um, yeah, which I guess
0: around. to to think about it that way, I hope Barnes and Noble has like a plan B around how to continue reaching. all these new customers that they have found if tiktok goes away or changes in some fashion where now barnes and Mm. noble is really i think heavily reliant on the success of those books given Mm. how much real estate they're getting literal real estate they're getting in the in the stores so yeah
1: yeah i don't know it'd be interesting to see but it it is it does bring to bear you know there are meta things going on in that world and once and, and it's influential in a number of fields and almost every kind mm-hmm. of marketing consumer product field that's you know people 40 and under are part of it all um it's it's the thing i mean even just riding the subway in new york like i'm not around people like this where they're just sitting around a lot of people just scrolling through tiktok just mm-hmm. sitting there watching videos one after the other um I, you know i'm ambivalent about it. i think it's interesting but it does suggest that there is a tipping point of attention um, for the the powers that be to get interested. Someone I okay. um, was talking to recently, they were quoting someone else. So I, I would quote them directly. I knew it says like, China, a Chinese company owning TikTok is sort of like a Russian company owning MTV in the 90s mm. or the 80s. And I was like, that oh. wouldn't have st- stood, right? <laughs> you know, I don't think we would have let that happen. And I don't know why, I don't know what's different about it. And I, the, of course, the parallel isn't direct as most an- analogies aren't. Mm-hmm. But it's in the... You know, it's, it differs in, in degree, not by kind, yeah, I think. Yeah, it passes the smell terms. test, I think. Yeah, yeah. very interesting. Hmm. Um, okay, uh, let's do Frontlist Foyer. Did you read while you were traveling? You had some plane time and some woods time. Did you have any I book did. time?
0: I had a little book time. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of rom-coms on the Delta Studio time.
1: Okay, what, was the, <laughs> what were the hits there?
0: of the rom-coms yeah did you watch Um, the lost city michelle did did we flew to new york yeah
1: she did that on the flight i
0: watched the lost city perfect played movie yeah and i think extra fun if you're a person who knows anything about how romance novels get made Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was really enjoyable i watched marry me with jennifer lopez and owen wilson on the flight back (laughs) less perfect but i love owen wilson so like what are you gonna you're there for owen
1: wilson you were at marry (laughs) me for owen wilson
0: I mean, wow. I like J-Lo. You are the 1%. Gonna...
1: You are the 1%, Rebecca, truly.
0: I can't. I've watched too many Wes Anderson movies. What can I say? <laughs> that's, that's
1: fine. That's fine.
0: <laughs> what can I say? I also watched When Harry Met Sally because uh, well. I always watch When Harry Met Sally. Um, I did read one book um, that Vanessa had... I think Vanessa was like halfway through it when she was guesting with mm-hmm. me while you were out on vacation and I was just about to start it. Um, but it was the, Who is Wellness For by um, Faria Roizen, who... I think was one of my picks yeah. for the summer draft. It's really interesting. It's a kind of a mix of memoir, essay and like sociology, history about different major elements of what we consider to be wellness today. Exercise, yoga, meditation, diet, all kinds of things. And she takes them through the lens of her experience as a South Asian woman, um, growing up in, you know, relatively disadvantaged situations. And what she how she eventually was exposed to these different ideas, what her access or lack thereof to them was like, what her experiences with them are, how she understands, especially the elements of wellness that we have, you know, ported over um, from the mm. East, co-opted, changed in many ways, commercialized in many ways um, in the West. And it's super interesting. There's so, so much to think about. Um, it gave me, I think I'm going to be thinking about it for a really long time. Um, I don't know what I was expecting going into it. I think I was expecting a little bit more straightforward narrative nonfiction of, mm. like, here is the state of these elements of wellness. Sort <laughs> right. of where, how they, how do they make it to the U.S.? What have we, how have we bastardized them? What have we done? Because um, they've all been bastardized and co-opted and commercialized. Um, and having her voice a little more in there made it both more interesting. There was a lot to think about, and it was helpful to have the hook of a person's personal experience. Mm. But then, also was a, maybe a little distancing from some of the bigger ideas. So. Um but very interesting, a lot to a lot to hold on to. But mostly I was in the woods not reading. Cool. And yeah, that was and, and trying to avoid the news, which I was unsuccessful in doing. So. <sighs> well,
1: that's there's no way to escape that particular yeah. uh, uh wave. Let's see. What have I done? Well, I did something I don't remember if I said but I I don't know if I said I was in the middle of it last week um, with Jen, but in case mm-hmm. I didn't, I did finish *An Immense World by Ed Young. Oh, on ha- audio tell me. Let's just say I'll probably be talking about it in our Patreon uh, moment okay. here in a few All right, minutes. Great. It's great. Um, so I did finish that. I read Memphis by Tara Stringfellow and mm-hmm. Wahala by Nikki May last week. So okay. debut novelists. I thought they were both really good. I think they both yeah. were very much debut novels. I have to say, you can yes. kind of smell it. I mean, if I had to write a 500 word review, I could maybe tease it out. But both very promising. You know, the gold standard for me of debut novels anymore is Homegoing by uh, Jessie mm-hmm. uh, of, of recent memory. It's not that. You could have told me that's her fourth novel. Um, if asked to guess which novel, I would probably guess debut for both, but there's a lot there. I think yeah, one thing I've, I've noticed, especially with debut novels, just one second, I'm sorry, but one thing about debut novels in contemporary settings, there's a lot of background and where everyone's from and what they're wearing and eating and where they, you know, where they went to school. And that they contrasted so forcefully with uh, Aurora by David Kep, which I talked about mm-hmm. last week, which gets right into the action. Now it's an action thing, but I don't know, a lot of throat clearing, setting the table. And if I'm 37% into your book on my Kindle and the kind of the plot starting to get going just then, too late on the whole. Yeah. That's one thing I'll say.
0: I agree. I had read I think I had read Memphis the week you were on vacation because I okay. talked about it with Vanessa right. here and I had I really also really liked it. I think it's a really strong debut. And I hadn't articulated that about all of the scene setting. Memphis is such like a, a lush and interesting rich place to set a story, but I wonder how much of that is that trend is intentional and how much maybe is just happening as a result of a thing that a lot of authors, especially debut authors, are really crossing their fingers for now is a pickup by a big Uh, book club and a movie deal. And I I think Memphis already has a movie deal um, or a TV series deal. I can't remember which, but that kind of setting the scene makes sense to me if you're trying to set people up for watching an adaptation.
1: I guess so. But isn't the great hook of like a TV show at the end of episode one, you're like, there's a dead body yeah. or uh, my mom is a con artist, you know, whatever else it might be to get you in the rest of the show. <laughs> I feel like I'm in episode four with a lot of these and, you know, they've got a world they're trying to build and characters they really care about. Um, I don't know. It, it was it, in, another one I read recently that's like this. I don't know if I mentioned on the show is um, Let's Not Do That Again by Grant Ginder, which is mm. kind of a thriller, political, zany. I don't know. It's, it's It has tonality all over the place, but I was well into it before like... The Body Dropped, Um, Mm -hmm. and I actually didn't know. It was kind of a swerve, too, as well. I'm not sure. Maybe maybe it's my own reading experience. Maybe it's where I am right now, but I had kind of similar reaction to several novels in a row. It's not just these two of, like, get to it a little bit, you know, back (laughs) out, but, like, where set the hook or, you know, tell a story rather than describing stuff. Um, yeah, is where that. I am a little bit. What was uh, Aurora
0: about? I haven't Aurora, about
1: yeah. So I tell Jen, um, I blew through it one sitting on a plane, five and a half hour flight, perfect plane right. So um, mm-hmm. David Cove is a screenwriter. I think his most well-known, he might have written like The Dark Knight Returns or something like that. Hmm. I don't have it in front of me right now, so I apologize if I'm wrong. But a screenwriter for sure. But it's, I would describe it as like a little bit of, um. it's somewhere between The Martian and Station Eleven in tone and stakes. Like there's a giant solar flare. I don't know exactly what it's called. I think a solar flare is close enough for us non-astronomers that knocks out all the power, almost all the power in the world for like three months, three or four months. So it's not an apocalypse, but it's also not a bad haircut, if you hear what I'm saying, in terms of stakes, (laughs) right? It's also not one guy on Mars. Um, And I think it's both, it's not the road, but it's also not, well, I don't know. Station 11 is pretty tough, but this is a long time after. It's not quite as dark, there's a lot of how are we going to get through this. There's some plot. I I thought it was great. It was picked up for a huge. I'm sure it's going to be made into a Netflix series. Kept, maybe even read. Maybe even maybe even wrote it in lieu of a screenplay or a treatment mm. to have something to both publish and then take out. Um, but I thought it was really good to read. At the other, I'm in the middle of one on audio right now that I wish I was done with <laughs> for today. Because I've got a lot to go, but it's Easy Beauty, and let's see, let me make sure I get the author's name right, because I don't want to mess this up. Easy Beauty by uh, Chloe Cooper Jones, and it's a memoir, and she is, um, we pick up with her, and I don't know where it ends, we pick up with her where she's in the middle of a philosophy PhD program, and she's already gotten an English PhD, so let's say Mm. that writing is not the problem with this book. There isn't a problem with this book, but this is a sentence Uh book as well as a... And she, um, and it's very interesting, and she doesn't get into it for a while. And I think this is one of the questions where this was held because she knows where the interest is going to be, and people are going to have the question. She has a visible physical disability, and that's mm-hmm. part of the story. But we really don't know what it is until, let's say, I'm now 44% of the way into the book. And only recently have the specifics been given. Because I think she's talking about being defined by the disability mm-hmm. um, and wants to withhold that so that you get a sense of her character and where she's come from and where she is in her own emotional state. You know, her wholeness as a person before being defined as a condition that I think broadly fall. Well, I'm not going to say. It's really good. It's really well written. Um, it's the kind of book. I'm glad I'm reading now I'm not sure if it gets published 10 or 15 years ago to be honest with you mm-hmm. and that's not the book's fault it's the industry's fault um, but there's not many books I've read like this you know it's 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 bordering on the educated H for Hawk quality of memoir Ooh, about something okay. I don't know much about but there's a lot of um, there's a lot of the flight left, Rebecca. I don't know how it's going to land. I know the you know <laughs> things can go sideways or stagnate or something mm-hmm. else can happen too. But I'm I'm very very cautiously um, buying stock in Easy Beauty by Chloe Cooper Jones um, to be one of the books we remember from this year. So that's, that's my uh, recent reading and listening. Um, I think that's our show. Uh, if you're not already signed up for the Book Riot Patreon, you're going to get to hear me really wring my hands about narrowing my list uh, <laughs> that no one has given me the number of chits I can use, but I am worried about it anyway. Um, as always, you can find the show notes uh, to this and all back episodes of the Book Riot podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. Do you have candidates for book of the year? If I'm missing something obvious... I'm really not right now talking about the Crawdads, Ends With Us books. I think that's a phenomenon. I'm going to put those all together in the TikTok phenomenon. Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about, we're looking at the Goodreads books of, of 2022 and 20 years. And what do we think we're going to be trying to decide between for one, two, three, and four? Um, that's kind of where I'm uh, I'm leaning towards. That's what I find more interesting, I should say, Rebecca, Same. at this point. Um, so that's it. We'll talk to you all later. And uh, I I'm now already nervous. You're nervous about what's about to happen. I feel very, I'm very, I'm very trepidatious at this point. I can't wait. (laughs) All right. Talk to you later.